Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church. To find out more about the Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Movement Church, what's up? You well? You're good. Great to be here on a Sunday morning at the 1045 service, hanging out with two of my favorite people, pastors Carrie and Megan Robinson. Come on, do you guys love your pastors? How awesome are they? Building something incredible in Orange County. As someone from Los Angeles, I didn't know incredible things happened in Orange County, but uh, God bless you. Have a good day. <laughs> but obviously, something remarkable is happening here. I also have uh, two friends at this church, Chris and Jordan Upton. Love them. Amazing people. Used to be a part of my church, but decided that the movement was better. So they, so they left me. They left me. I'm not, I don't, I'm not bitter. I'm not, I'm not mad about it. I love you guys. They're amazing, incredible people. And then I got my, uh, I would call him a friend, but I picked him up on the side of the highway on the way down here. Uh, Tyson, I'm just kidding. He, he's uh, the, the volunteer overseer for one of our campuses in Los Angeles. Can we welcome Tyson here with me today? So great to be here finishing out this series on pain. Pain, uh, a very real thing, something that we all deal with, something that I've definitely dealt with in life. And uh, I guess if there's any, uh, any guarantees in life, pain has definitely got to be one of them. Would you agree? Just so you guys know, uh, I definitely come from a rowdy church. Um, my church in Los Angeles is full of people who don't have a lot of money, but they got a lot of spirit. And uh, so y'all don't have to feel like you got to sit there and be quiet and, you know, just be all calm and reserved and proper. You know, you can talk back. You can say, I like that. You can say, that's good. You can say, say that again. You could say, preach it. Whatever you want to say, it doesn't matter to me. There's two things you ought to know about when you talk back to the preacher. Number one, they will preach better. Number two, they will preach shorter. So unless you want this to turn into a Southern Baptist convention and for me to preach for three hours, you gotta, you gotta say something back. You gotta give a little encouragement. In fact, how about just on three? How about just on three? Let's just all try something. Just shout it out. What, you can pick whatever one you want, but you can't say, stay silent. You gotta shout something. You ready? One, two, three. That was pretty good. Now we're cooking with gas. Now we're getting somewhere. Amazing. Well, such an honor to be here. Hey, do you love your pastors, Carrie and Megan Robinson? Can we give them a huge round of applause for the amazing job that they are doing right here in Orange County? Pastor Carrie says Jesus lives in Orange County, but I think he lives in Los Angeles, man. I think he lives in Los Angeles. We'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. Come with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 and verse... 10? Sure. Sounds good. Let's try verse 10. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. It should be on the screen right behind me. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10 says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned, but you had no opportunity before. Not that I, Paul, am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation, turn to your neighbor and say, whatever situation, whatever situation I am to be Content. I know when all you woke up this morning, the first thought you had is, today my goal is to be content in life. Probably not, not the sexiest word in the Bible, but a very important word either way. 
in whatever situation I am to be content, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You all know this next one. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In fact, why don't we say that last line together? Ready? Begin. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Isn't that beautiful? Amazing. Come with me now quickly to the book of Mark. Marky Mark. Awesome gospel. Marky Mark and chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 and I believe verse 41. Mark 12, 41. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He sat down opposite the treasury and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything, all she had to live on. How many want to be that person in life? Probably not. Probably not. Um, Well, if you're taking notes uh, this morning, and I hope that you are, you can write down the title of the message. It's called The Hand and the Heart. The Hand and the Heart. And just over these next few minutes that we get to share together, uh, I'd love to just discuss, come around the thought of being content in the midst of our pain. Being content in the midst of our pain. The Hand and the Heart. Let's pray one more time. Ask God to speak to us. And then uh, I'll yell at you for about 20 minutes or so, and then we can all go on with our amazing day. Sound good? Sound good? Father, we thank you for this great church. We thank you for this service, this time that we get to gather together, worship you, celebrate you, celebrate what has been done for us when your son paid the price, gave us resurrection life. God, we could not thank you enough for what you have done for us, risen us into brand new life. Father, I pray that today uh, people here as we're gathered together would sense that you are doing something in our lives, that we would realize that life is not without purpose, but that you have an ultimate plan, an ultimate purpose for our lives, no matter where we're at. And I pray today, Lord, that something would be activated. Today, when we leave this place, we would be able to take a step into that purpose so that we can live the life that you're calling us to live. Lord, uh, take this word now and speak it to us. Apply it to our lives that we may receive exactly what it is that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a position where everything that you collectively have literally feels like nothing in comparison to or in light of what it is that you're trying to do, trying to accomplish. I'm sure that you have. If you like to shop on the internet like myself, you've probably had this same experience where you go on the line and you, uh, that's what we call it up in Los Angeles, on the line, on the line. That's not an OC thing, I get it. You go on the line and, and you start shopping for something cheap. Let's say it's a $50 price point and you're looking and maybe it's a basketball, maybe it's a new pair of shoes, whatever it is, you're shopping on the internet. And what inevitably happens when you go on the internet to shop is the price tags of the items that you are looking at start to 
climb. They start to get, they get a little bit higher. And so you started out with a $50 pair of shoes, but now all of a sudden you're looking at a brand new suit, right, Pastor Kerry? Because you love a good suit. I know that you do. And then you go from, from the suit and then now you, somehow you started looking for real estate. Like you started house shopping all of a sudden. You're looking at yachts. You started out with 50, but now you're looking at items that are like $50,000. You're wondering like, can I put this yacht on layaway? Will they take payments? I'm not really sure. You see, it's easy. Just for the record, they probably don't take payments for a yacht. I imagine that's a cash type transaction, I think. I don't own a yacht. I'll let you know if I ever buy a yacht, how the transaction took place. It's easy in life for everything that we have to feel like not really much at all in light of what, what we want to do with it. Uh, in another lifetime, uh, a friend of mine once convinced me, get ready for it, to audition for American Idol. Do we have any American Idol auditioners in the building today? None. Great. Just me. Obviously, I did not make it. Because here I am today. My friend, who was very cruel, cruel and unusual, you see, because I know what you're thinking. Oh, how nice. He's a singer. That's so lovely. Not really. No, no. This just wasn't a very thoughtful friend that convinced me to audition for American Idol. But I took them up on the challenge because I'm not afraid to try new things, friends. So I took them up on the challenge to audition for American Idol. And uh, I had told another one of my friends about it. And they agreed to come along with me and do the audition And uh, just a spoiler alert, they made it through. I didn't. I'm not bitter about it, not mad about it. May have defriended them on Facebook, deleted their phone number from my phone. Who's to know? I think I might have even forgot forgot their name, Pastor Jeremy. I don't know who it was. Who loves Pastor Jeremy? And he's so good. Oh, that was like a... Like, if you wanted to give him a pat on the back, that was a nice clap. But if you wanted to really encourage him and the amazing job he's doing with the worship team, you'd really give him a great hand. I love the drummer, too. I love, you're just like the animal up there. It's incredible. It's amazing. I love passion and energy. So I went to try out for American Idol, and my friend came along with me. And uh, the day arrived, and you have to wake up, like, really, really early in the morning. And so we woke up, and we drive to, it's at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. So uh, I was going to say hundreds of thousands, but then I realized that's probably a slight exaggeration. Let's just say thousands and thousands and thousands of people uh, from around Southern California are all making this journey to the Rose Bowl to audition for the singing competition. So we arrive. There's tons of people there. You have to wait for hours outside the, the, uh, the stadium, only then to be ushered into the stadium where you have to wait for hours more. So we're sitting in our section in the stadium. We're tired. We've been waiting for hours. Everybody around me is having a really good time. You have people playing the guitar. Everyone's singing. They're all having fun. I'm not really having fun because I'm uncomfortable. uh, And I'm sitting there kind of just keeping to my my business because my friend got separated from me. She was in her own section. So that was really sad. So I'm sitting there and everyone else is singing. And I remember having the realization that everybody else there was a really good singer. And I didn't anticipate at a singing competition that there would be good singers present. For the audition. Uh, I don't know if you remember the season of, of American Idol with William Hung. Anyone remember William Hung? She banged, she banged. Can I sing that in church? Probably not. If I just offended you, I just want to let you know that I won't be here next Sunday. Pastor Kerry will be back on the mic. 
And you can probably trust him to not offend your friends if you want to bring them along. So, so uh, I was expecting that, that kind of singing quality. But everybody is really good, which intimidates me some more. They finally call my section. We're making it our way down to the field where they have these multiple booths set up. Each booth with their own individual set of judges. And, and you split up into groups of four or five and you go and sing in front of them. So we're, we're making our way down to the field. And then all of a sudden, I start hearing these very strange noises, these sounds which were completely and totally foreign to me. Come to learn later, these are legitimate vocal warm-up techniques, friends. I had mistaken them for bird mating calls, you know, like... <laughs> and just for the record, that is a legitimate... Vocal warm-up tech. Am I right, Pastor Jeremy? It is, right? It's, cl- it's close, he says. Come on, bro. You were supposed to back me on that, man. What the heck? I'm not paying you now, dude. I'm not paying you now. So they're all doing these vocal warm-up techniques, which intimidates me some more because I don't know any vocal warm-up techniques, okay? So we get down to the field. I break out into my little section, and we're standing in front of the judges at our booth. The first guy up to sing, I kid you not, is legitimately clutching a Tony Award. Like, you know, you get on Broadway. He's holding onto a Tony Award, literally singing the world's best version of the Phantom of the Opera that you have ever heard in your entire life. And I remember in that moment thinking to myself, literally every ounce of singing ability that I can muster right now feels like nothing. I got nothing on the Tony Award Phantom of the Opera guy. I might as well just quit right now and and not even bother singing. You see, I'm trying to illustrate to you that in life it's easy for everything that we have to feel like not really much at all in light of what it is that we're trying to accomplish. Would you agree? You have to say yes. So just would you agree? So, so we're introduced to uh, this woman here in Mark chapter 12 uh, by way of Jesus and the disciples, people watching in the temple. And as they're sitting there in the temple, it says that they watched uh, numerous people walk in and contribute large sums of money into the offering. And I'm just going to go out on a whim and just say that's totally legit here at the Movement Church. That's allowed. If you want to contribute large sums of money, that, that's totally acceptable. Um, And so they're watching people walk in and they're contributing into the offering box. But then it says that they witnessed this woman walk in and she put in uh, two copper coins, which make a penny, the Bible says. And if you look down at the footnotes of your Bible, you will see that that penny equals one sixty-fourth, one sixty-fourth of one day's wage for the common laborer. What would equal today in our currency about $1, $1. And it says that that was everything she had. This woman, this widow, who is probably more poor than, than all of us have ever been in our lives. And she comes in and she contributed, contributes this sum to the offering. And it's interesting because Jesus makes an amazing statement. I don't, I don't know if you caught it. But, but he turns to his disciples and he says, uh, you see that woman? She just gave more than everybody else here in the temple. And I find that to be an amazing statement because, well, she didn't really. I mean, she gave a dollar. It says that other people were, were, were giving large sums of money. And I'm, you know, I'm not a professional mathematician, but 
But the last time I checked, one dollar was, was not a large sum of money. But I guess if we're speaking in, in percentages, then Jesus would be totally correct because, because her dollar was everything she had, which means that she gave 100%. So she contributed more than everybody else because while they gave a portion, she, she gave everything into that, that offering. And I know that in church culture, if you've been around for a while, uh, we're all used to uh, the, the, the discussion that surrounds giving in terms of how much more blessed it is to give than it is to receive. We all hear that around this time of year going into the holidays. And that's totally and completely true. But I would go out on a limb and say that this woman did not feel exceedingly blessed to be giving her last dollar to the temple. I doubt that she went skipping out of the temple just like exceedingly. I don't know if that's how you skip, but if I, if I were to skip, that's how I would skip. But I doubt that she skipped out of the temple uh, exceedingly pumped about how blessed she was now to have contributed everything, her final dollar, into... No, no, no. She was likely pretty discontent with her lot in life. Something tells me this woman probably had some pain. She had some dissatisfaction with how things had worked out for her. And in reality, Jesus is the only person in the temple who knows what she just contributed Nobody gathered around this woman and gave her a pat on the back, gave her a round of applause saying, good on you for giving everything. No, no, no. People likely didn't even notice. Because the truth is, many times, what is everything for us is kind of nothing to the world. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but even on our best day sometimes, everything we have still might be kind of considered not all that much. To the people around us. And then when you think about it, well, it's kind of not that much in comparison to, to what it is I'm trying to accomplish in this life. You see, this woman and her two copper coins, they had no purchasing power. She couldn't buy herself a meal with them. She couldn't buy a blanket to keep herself warm. No shopkeeper ever saw her coming down the street and said, oh, goody, here comes a sale. They're, they're, they're worthless. They have Not really much value. I mean, let's consider the fact that she really just gave to God what man didn't even want. And I think sometimes if we were to to be honest and think about it, our pain in life often stems from the position, stems from maybe the realization that everything we have isn't really that much at all. Especially when we consider it in light of what it is that we are trying to accomplish in this life. I don't know about you, but I definitely have dreams and vision and aspiration and things that I want to achieve in this life. But it can be, it can be kind of painful to, to realize that I don't actually have everything I need to get what I want done. I think if I were to say it like this, maybe you could write it down. Oftentimes our pain stems from the fear that what is in our hand is not enough to accomplish what is in our heart. When I was 16 uh, years old, I remember uh, sitting down in the living room of my parents' home in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, it was late at night, and I remember putting on my very favorite worship DVD. 
It was the DVD that accompanied the album United We Stand by the little-known band Hillsong United. Anyone? I, they're not really that big of a deal, so you might not have heard of them in Orange County. But at the time in Atlanta, they were, they were huge, friends. They were huge. Something obviously derailed there. So, so I remember putting on this United We Stand DVD, and uh, it's late at night in, in my parents' home, and I'm watching it, and I am, i got to be honest, like completely and totally mesmerized by what it is that I see on the screen. I mean, thousands of people, and Pastor Carrie and Megan could obviously relate to this, but th- this vision of thousands of people worshiping and lifting their hands and engaging with the one who created them. And I just remember watching that and, and being so in awe and feeling some kind of sense of calling on my own life that I would be able to be a part of some kind of movement like that in, in the earth. And as I'm watching this DVD, my mom, she comes from downstairs and she sits beside me on the couch kind of just in silence for a few moments. And to be totally honest, I think she was just stoked that her 16-year-old son was up late watching a worship DVD and not Skinamax. And... Uh, Hello. And and so we're sitting there in silence and we're watching this worship DVD. And then she finally turns to me and I remember the question clear as crystal. She says, what do you feel when you watch this? What do you feel when you watch this? And this, of course, is a great opportunity to be vulnerable and to open up and to express all of my desires and, and, and burning passions in my life to accomplish something great. But instead of going down that road, I just turned to my mom. I said, nothing. Nothing, which of course was a, was a blatant lie. I mean, I remember that lie probably more than any other lie I've ever told in this life. If, if lies had an aftertaste, I would still be able to taste that lie in my mouth. I remember in that moment, what I was trying to do is just be whatever it is 16-year-olds want their moms to think they are. Moms, can I get an, get an amen? You know, I was trying to be whatever it is that I wanted my mom to think I was, and so I lied. I said I felt nothing, but really on the inside when I watched that DVD, like I just told you, my heart literally burned within my chest, and I was filled with such expectation and anticipation for what it was that I felt like God was calling to me in my own life, and when I watched that, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and try to prepare me for a calling on my life, but I said that I felt nothing because I knew that I had nothing. To pursue a dream which really required everything. You see, I didn't go to a church of thousands and thousands of people. I was not next in line to some ministry throne. I wasn't going to inherit some great ministry. My parents were pastors. They were ministers building a great church in Atlanta. But but nothing like what I was seeing on the screen. And so I had a vision for it, but I had nothing in my hand that communicated, oh, I definitely am going to be able to achieve that. So I said I felt Nothing, And I remember the pain and the discontentment of that moment. And you know what I've found, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but you know when you get older, the story doesn't really change. 16 and same today, it's the same kind of story where everything that, that I want to go after, I don't always seem to have what it takes to, to get there. You, you know what I mean? And I think that's the way that God has kind of designed it because it keeps us in a place of trust. It keeps in a place, us in a place of having to believe and, and having to exercise our faith and step out uh, onto the water and, and trust him. Even today, in my most recent history, I have found that this is the way that life works. I mean, we don't often have in our hand everything we need to accomplish what is in 
our heart. At the end of uh, 2013, my wife and I went through uh, probably one of the greatest struggles that we've shared together in our marriage. Up until that point, we were campus, uh, pastoring one of the campuses uh, in our church in Los Angeles, which my, my dad had started. And, uh, you know, life is just kind of going along like normal. There have been some shifts in, uh, in regular uh, life. But as far as I could tell, everything was normal. Everything was going great. And then December of 2014 comes around, and uh, the, the campus in North Hollywood of our church starts to go through a really hard time, and there were some leadership struggles, and some people kind of did like a bit of a mass exodus and ended up leaving that uh, campus. And my wife and I at that point, while we were pastoring the other campus, we were very involved in that, trying to keep it all together and, and lead it and, and be present there because my, my parents weren't always able to do that. And then simultaneously to that, uh, I find out from, from my dad that him and my mom are planning on separating. And so December hits, and it's literally like everything in my life just hit the fan, you know, like everything I knew that was familiar, everything that I could trust, everything that felt like solid ground just kind of crumpled beneath my feet. And during that whole season is when my wife and I stepped into our role now as lead pastors of the church. And so I have my family that's falling apart, and I have the church that's kind of falling apart, if I'm being honest. And I've got this dream on the inside of my heart. We're like, we're going to build something great. Thousands of people are going to come. It's going to be amazing. Hundreds are going to get saved. They're going to turn their lives around and follow Jesus. This is what is in my heart, but what is in my hand is a church that is a mess. And parents that I'm parenting. It's so true that oftentimes our pain does come from that place of not having enough here to accomplish what we need here. In Philippians chapter 4, I think uh, we read Paul make one of the, the most, well, I'll say boldest statements in all the Bible. I mean, if you really stop to consider what it is that he's communicating to these people, these, these Christians, these believers in the city of Philippi, it's quite a bold thing that Paul says. He says to them, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be, here's the word, content. Just whatever situation, anything that comes my way. I mean, I don't know about you, but the last time I checked, I definitely wasn't wasn't content in whatever situation. I'm content when things are good. But when things are tough, man, it's hard to be content. When your family is falling apart, it's hard to be content. When the business you're running is going through a tough season, it's hard to be content. When your boyfriend breaks up with you, it's hard to be content. When finances aren't the way that you want them to be, it's hard to be content. There are so many factors in life that kind of just go awry that should make us be discontent. And yet Paul says, no, 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 you got it all wrong. You see, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. No matter what pain I'm facing, I can be content. No matter what storm comes my way, I've learned to be content. This would be a good time to start getting excited. Paul is saying, I've learned that no matter what I face, no matter what struggle I go through, no matter what mountain I have to climb, no matter what valley I have to go through, no matter what river I have to cross, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And the thing about it is, if you're going to take these words at face value from anybody, it might as well be the Apostle Paul. 
I realize that if somebody else said this, it might not hold as much weight because their idea of a struggle, their idea of pain in life is waking up in the morning and being out of cinnamon toast crunch. You know what I'm saying? But that's not Paul. Paul knew what it was to go through struggle. He knew what it was to face all kinds of pain in this life. In fact, after he says, I can be content in whatever situation, he then qualifies the statement to include all of the times that he was brought low, all of the times he was facing immense need, and all of the times that he had been in desperate hunger. So if we're going to take it literally from anybody, if we're going to learn something from anybody about what it means to be content in the midst of pain, it might as well be Paul. He is somebody who knew what it was to have no more endurance to keep moving. No more hope left to share. No more strength in his body. Listen to how he describes himself in the book of 2 Corinthians. He says, I'm somebody with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Hello. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, but not like that. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. I mean, has anybody here just by a show of hands been adrift at sea? This is some hectic stuff that Paul is facing. Frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches who is weak. And I am not weak. In other words, he says, show me somebody who has, a, who has nothing. And I'll show you someone who still has more than me. This is Paul's life. And I can tell you, that was not just a season. This is just his daily living. And yet, six years after he writes the letter to the church in Corinth, he writes this letter to the church in Philippi. So six more years of hell. And yet he says, no, 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 I'm, I'm good with it. What? I mean, what is this guy smoking? Am I taking crazy? I want to understand. I want to know how is it somebody like Paul could go through all of that in his life and say, no, no matter what pain I face, I've learned to be content in whatever situation. After all, if our pain stems from the place where what is in our hand is not enough to accomplish what is in our heart, then Paul should have been the most discontent, most pained person in history. Called by God, Jesus himself showed up in the sky, knocked Paul off his donkey, gave him a call the size of the sun. And yet Paul continually continually faced opposition that was seemingly so much greater than his call. And I don't know if you've been in a place like that. I certainly have. And you know what I think is that we, like Paul, often find ourselves where we want to accomplish something great but we don't have a lot of greatness in us. And maybe we like the widow with the two copper coins. We're at a place where we want to be doing business on Wall Street, but we got a penny. We want to do something of significance, something that matters, but we don't have enough in our hands to, to get there. And so the question begs to be asked, how do we, how do we solve the tension of this pain? That exists between the hand and the heart. 
I think when we're young, we go about it one way. When we're young, we try to deal with what's in the hand. And we think that the answer to satisfaction and the answer to peace and the answer to having happiness in this life is to try to get as much in here as possible. And so we go and get the degree that we want so that we can get the job that we want so that we can get the salary that we want so that we can make a whole bunch of money. Nothing wrong with money, but this is the, the trajectory that we put ourselves on. And we, we want to have friends who are in a certain social circle. We want to have a nicer car. We want to buy a bigger house. We want to have more things. We want to buy more followers on Instagram so we look much more important than we really are in this life. And then when we go down this pathway, I don't know if you've been down, but I've definitely been down. Down this pathway, what we find is that a few years into that whole mess, and we definitely are still in pain. And we're definitely not satisfied, and we're definitely not content with our lot in life. And so then what happens is you get a little older, and you fight a few, ring, a few rounds in the ring, and then you determine, well, I had it backwards. You see, the way for me to have peace, and the way for me to have satisfaction, and to get rid of this pain, is just to expect less. And so we start to diminish the things that God has placed on our heart. We start to push aside those dreams that we had when we were 16 in our parents' living room. We start to lower our expectations out of this life that God has blessed us us with. But then we find that that pathway doesn't lead to life either. And we're still in pain. And we're still discontent. Well, that's because the solution isn't in trying to solve the tension that exists between hand and heart. The solution is embracing the tension. That's where contentment comes in the midst of pain. You see, Paul, a little lower down in that passage in Corinthians, he writes to them and he says, listen guys, three times I prayed to the Lord that he would take my weakness from me, that he would take my pain from me, that he would remove this thorn from my flesh. But all three times he just responded, he says, my grace is sufficient. I got you. In fact, Paul, my power is perfected in your weakness. My goodness is perfected in your pain. Stop trying to gain more here and definitely don't diminish what's in here. The answer is not in evening out the ratio. The answer is just embracing the tension that exists because it's in that tension where God can actually move. It's in that place of frustration. It's in that place where we feel like we don't have what it takes to accomplish what we want to do, that God can actually meet us there in our weakness and accomplish something magnificent. You see, the issue is neither the weakness in your hand or the bigness in your heart. It's the fear inside your mind that tells you the weakness in your hand is going to stop you from accomplishing the bigness in your heart. Three times I prayed, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For his sake, then, I am content With weaknesses, I'm content with insults, I'm content with hardships, I'm content with persecution and calamity. For when I am weak, 
I am strong. He says, I'm going to go ahead and just boast about the pain that I feel. If I can't get rid of it, if I can't solve it, I'm going to just boast about it. Because what I'll be truly boasting is that even though I don't have what it takes, God definitely does. And even though I have a lack in my hand, God knows no lack. He only knows abundance. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think. Oh, I wish I had a church who knew how to clap their hands and praise God like he ought to be praised for his goodness and his grace being outworked in your life. He said, go ahead and brag about your two copper coins. He said, go on and boast about them. Because what the world looks on and sees as worthless, God will look in and see as priceless. And what the world looks on and sees as nothing, God looks on and says, no, that's enough for me to accomplish something great. That's enough for me to do something magnificent and even miraculous in your life. Movement Church, can you praise God right now and put your hands together for his faithfulness, for his goodness, even in the midst of your pain. Even in the midst of your pain. You know, I'm so honestly blessed to be able to tell you that things don't stay the way that they are. They get better. Sure, we live with pain most of the days of our lives. My back hurts right now. But God is so faithful. Oh God, if I could just get you to realize one thing here movement church is that God is faithful and even though we walk through hell sometimes and even though we deal with pain that we don't think we can handle God will not waste one ounce of your pain he will not waste one teardrop he will not waste one second of struggle the Bible says that he uses all things together for good for those who love him I know here in Southern California we thought it said he uses good things together for good That's not what it says. No, it says he uses all things, including the pain, including the struggle, including the hardship, the toil. Paul says, I'm just going to be content in the midst of it because I know that God has a plan and that he's accomplishing a purpose in my life, even in the pain. Even in the pain. And today, our church, even just one year later, friends, it's an interesting time of year for me, coming up on kind of a year anniversary of one of the hardest seasons of my life. But like Pastor Gary had said, our church is it's something to be experienced. It's amazing. Not nearly as cool as the movement church, but but I got to tell you what God is doing. We just moved into it. The, 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 the campus that went through the church split, literally within a matter of months, nearly doubled. We've just moved into a brand new venue. Just this last Sunday, we celebrated. Pastor Gary came up and celebrated with us and Uh, It's just incredible to see, like, I don't even recognize three quarters of my church anymore. God has taken the pain, he's taken the struggle, and he's multiplied us in the midst of it. So I will thank him. If I've learned one thing, I will thank him for the pain in my life. Because the greater the struggle, I just know the greater the victory. The greater the pain, the bigger my praise is going to be on the other side of that storm. Come on, can you give God a great shout of praise? I've got a minute and 53 seconds left, so I'd love to just close in prayer. Hey, if you hear nothing else in this service, please hear me now. The most important thing that any of us can ever do with our lives is make the decision to say, God, I trust you. And maybe you're here today and you've never made that decision to say, God, I'm going to trust you. In the painful times and the good times. But all of us have to come to that moment where we say, God, I trust you. I receive your love for me. I receive your grace for me. 
And I know that we don't often feel qualified. We don't feel good enough. We feel guilty. We feel tired. We feel broken. But you know, God, he comes to us just as we are. He doesn't ask us to be anything we're not in order for us to receive him, receive his love, and to trust him. So maybe you're here today and you're that person. You've never made that decision to put your trust in him. There could be one person here. There could be 20 people here. I don't know. It's just my responsibility to make sure that all of us have made that decision to say, God, I'm trusting you now. Hey, right now we're all going to pray together as a church. And this is, uh, this is an incredible prayer where what we're saying is, God, I'm leaving yesterday and yesterday, and I'm going to trust you with today and believe for tomorrow and receive his grace and his love for us. So repeat after me. Say, God, come on. God, thank you for the gift of grace, the gift of love, the gift of salvation. Today, I receive your forgiveness, your Holy Spirit. Make me brand new. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.